Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a virginal 23-year-old young American graduate called Danny Moran. He is an orphan heiress to a vast fortune who is determined to find the right man for his first sexual encounter wherever he might be in the world. (laughs) He first travels to Morocco where he meets an ideal lover in the form of an Arab sheikh who offers to deflower him. The sheikh takes him away to his (laughs) private airplane. (laughs) But during foreplay, while rubbing Danny's new body with, with honey, he falls asleep Giving up on the shake, Danny goes on to Spain where he meets the Torridor, Sam Foster, and sets out to seduce him. After several days of courtship and flirting, Sam makes love to Danny one morning, and Sam manages to stay awake. Unfortunately, after Danny has succeeded in his quest to lose his virginity, Sam is good while bullfighting the next day. It's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of actual film, the 1984 classic film Bolero. This is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a sensitive Latino lover whose sexual prowess is matched only by his bullfighting ability, Sam Foster. But I die bullfighting, so how good can it be? Yes. Yeah, that, was that like a sort of, oh, you throw shade at me? Well, not intentionally, but now that you've analyzed it, I did throw some sexual shade some at you. Shade. Mm. Sorry about that. You're That's probably okay. a great lover. Thanks, man. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> On this week's episode, Danny and I review Jordan Peele's acclaimed horror movie, Get Out, in which a young black guy visits his white girlfriend's parents with what turns out to be quite justified trepidation. Keep listening to find out whether we can heap praise on the film without sounding like exactly the sort of faux-progressive, patronizing white liberals the film is satirizing. Danny has, meanwhile, been deep down a docu-hole, watching all the most obscure shit, and he brings us a pair of reviews of non-fiction features, Gleason, following a man diagnosed with ALS, and a slice of small-town Americana called Uncertain. We also talk about yet another beloved film about to be fed into the remake Mincer and turned into fat, juicy, easy-to-grill studio cash. And then we comfort ourselves at the prospect of a legendary unfinished project possibly finally making its way to the big screen. All that should leave just enough time for me to debut a new recurring series on the podcast, Get In, in which I very smugly do things that would be uncomfortable or dangerous, for people of a different ethnicity, gender, or class to myself. In this first segment, I deliberately get caught by police while smoking weed and easily talk my way out of it. Next time, I'll be walking through London at 3am in a pair of tiny shorts, just high-fiving everyone I meet along the way. Get in. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films. Films up to your gills with films, 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 
has begun. Film chat, news, uh, news about the podcast itself, which is always the most popular segment. Um, we are making some back-end changes, doing a bit of technical wizardry. I'm not going to be doing it, and I don't fully understand it, so this is going to be uncertain, and I'll be created by Katie and Dan if I get something wrong. We are changing our feed. It's going to be different now. If you're an iTunes subscriber, you will have to change to subscribe to something else. Change. Film change. Chat will become Film Chat Classic, and there will be a little notice saying that, you know how to move over. So watch out for that. And we are going to be changing our podcast platform. We're not going to be on SoundCloud anymore. They did a few things that we weren't too happy with. Yeah, SoundCloud's um, for cucks. Yes, it is a cuck platform, and we don't approve of uh, that type of character. So, yeah, we're going to move, and we're going to be on Acast, uh, which is the sort of great platform for up-and-coming podcasts like us, and particularly suitable for anybody whose producer works at that company. So, um, uh, yeah, so keep an eye out. We'll be on all your favorite podcast platforms, but not SoundCloud. You've tried us one too many times, SoundCloud. Never again. SoundCloud! Also, the podcast will be improving in a very significant way in the form of adverts. Um, a lot of people have been complaining that there are no adverts on our podcast, um, unlike some of the other more uh, prominent podcasts. So don't worry. There's going to be some. It's going to be for all your favorite brands. Uh, some of the brands that will be advertised will include Foster's Beer, uh, Mercedes-Benz, um, The One Show, and... Um, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to start over like Is your Sam Foster Foster's been in Mar- Moran Emporium that wasn't, that wasn't where my mind was at all No I was just listing any random shit And Mawam Watch out for that There's, great, there's a great Mawam ad in the pipeline M-A-O-A-M Yeah I wrote the jingle for it It's different to the normal one It's not that um, It's not the one that spells out the name It's like a completely different one <laughs> It spells it out, but it spells it incorrectly. Yeah, it spells it wrong. It's like B-Q-R-T-S. Mawam. <laughs> Just a mess of people. It's a mysterious acronym. Yeah, so, so uh, keep your ears peeled for that one. Superhero films announced. Casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Interesting bit of film history that's come to light recently is that Orson Welles, that legendary auteur turned salesman of anything that would get, pay him, and yeah. if, as long as he doesn't be sober, to of drunk obese salesman, <laughs> drunk obese salesman and filmmaker <laughs> Orson Welles. Um, before he died, he failed to complete his final film. Well, I guess he didn't think of it as his final film. He just thought of it as a film. He didn't know he was going to die. Called The Other Side of Hope, and. It was filmed over five years, never completed, and various rights and legal issues and legal battles have plagued the film afterwards. But there is new hope in the form of huge conglomerate Netflix. They have somehow untangled all that legal wrangling. They've got the rights to the rushes or whatever's left of the film, along with Orson Welles' very fastidious editing notes. They're going to put it together and release it. Very exciting stuff. The film in question is about Hollywood. Uh, a satirical take on Hollywood and features a cast including John Huston, Peter Bogdanovich, a bunch of names I don't know because they're so old. Dennis what, you Hopper. haven't seen Mercedes McCambridge's uh, entire filmography like I have? No. What a wonderful ac- actress, I assume. She is, she is excellent. And it focuses on the last days of a legendary film director named Jake Hannaford, played by a legendary film director, John Huston, who's struggling to forge his last great comeback as a major filmmaker. 
as he works on his final masterpiece named The Other Side of the Wind. Sounds like a bit of a sort of meta project, which does, never came into it? fruition. It's a bit like David Bowie's last album. But not completed. But not completed. It's a bit unclear from this story whether it's called The Other Side of the Wind or The Other Side of Hope. I'm not totally sure, to be honest. It says The Other Side of Hope first, and then now it's called The Other Side of the Wind. I don't know. Maybe Netflix has changed its name or something. Yeah, they've looked at the metrics and seen what really plays with the uh, 20 to 30 The Wind Rises. Everyone wanted to see that movie. And uh, can't think of a film with the word hope in the title. That's because they don't sell. So um, This is like another story that's made me sort of, you know, as a lefty kind of guy i'm like i don't trust big businesses big corporations but then netflix keep on producing cool stuff and like giving money to cool filmmakers and i'm like oh you've won me over netflix well if i if i can put on my business talk and just spout some ignorant bullshit please do netflix seems to be going for this model that's a bit like kind of what amazon does where they just spend loads of money in the hopes of attracting as many people to their platform as possible without thinking so much about like making money. I think Amazon's whole thing has just been to get like every single person in the world to use Amazon, but their margins are very narrow because they pass on the savings to people because their products are like super cheap. You know, like everything's on sale all the time and like delivery is always free yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think Netflix is doing a similar kind of thing since, I mean, I you know, not that I know anything about their business model, but like it seems incredible to me that they can really turn a profit when they're like financing these massive movie projects and buying existing films and like doing shit like this. You know what I mean? Like how many new subscribers are getting per year to fund all that stuff? Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great project. I'm glad they're doing it. Like if Netflix hadn't done it, maybe it just would be some other studio. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that like it's only now that Netflix has come along that this is finally able to be finished. Like maybe the court case was wrapped up around this time <laughs> and Netflix just bought it. I don't know. Do you think it is possibly... You know, it'll be great, but also, do you think the satire will be incredibly dated and it's commenting on 70s Hollywood in a way which is just an interesting time capsule? Well, that's what makes it sort of interesting in a way. Like, old satire. It's interesting to see how they would have satirised it. Was it the 70s when Orson Welles died? You know? Yes, yes, well, I want to say yes. I don't know. We didn't do our research on this before we were talking about the story, but, you know, ancient dying uh, drunkards are not known for their eagle eye uh for satire i guess i don't know it's like you don't sort of see footage of him in the late stage of his career and think there's a guy who's definitely producing his best work you know i don't know i think that free frozen peas commercial is some of his best work <laughs> i would say it's up there with touch of evil for me what's the wine that he's selling um paul maison paul maison like if he was directing his movie with anything like the verve and uh distinctiveness with which he was trying to sell california champagne i don't know there is a new champagne <laughs> yes yeah. inspired by that same french excellence it's fermented in the bottle yeah You've it's got amazing. it. You've produced it perfectly. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating project. And it's, and it's nice to be able to talk about some news on the podcast, which is... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Not simply a remake or a sequel. Speaking of which, remake, news, The Matrix. Everyone loves that film, don't iconic they? Iconic. It's iconic. Genre-defining 
yeah. movie. I spent from the age of nine to fourteen, I was wearing a long leather trench coat and you look badass, sung, man. I look fucking badass, mate. And I kept insisting that I'd seen cats move twice and like I punched walls a lot. It was awesome. I was very, very popular and cool. Uh, and that was all down to the Matrix. It's not it's not that older movie and doesn't seem like the sort of thing that you would be remaking, but times are changing. Hollywood is desperate. They're putting their paws on absolutely everything now. And somehow, apparently, rumors around a remake of The Matrix have been going on for some time. And The Hollywood Reporter is saying that Warner Brothers is in talks with the writer Zach Penn to create a treatment. They have talked a bit about Michael B. Jordan as maybe the focus of a potential leading man, but it's all extremely speculative. So there's really not that much we can say about it, except that the Wachowski siblings... Um, sisters, no? Now sisters, Lana and Lily, are not involved. And Keanu Reeves is also not involved yet. You know, maybe they'll give him even more money than they would for John Wick 3 or whatever, and, and he'll be back. But yeah, I don't know. I think it would be... I, I imagine that whatever form it would take, it's the, the the new story was describing as a reboot, which makes it like not a remake, which makes it sound like one of those Matrix weird, rebooted. Yeah, it's like, like one of those title. weird hybrid type films where it's like a sequel slash a remake. Like, it's probably gonna be like that, you know, like The Force Awakens or Jurassic World, one of those utterly shit. And it's a particularly ironic property to give it that treatment in a way, since the whole thing is about that like uncanny sense of things not quite seeming real and like. The, the 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 gritty truth beneath or whatever but it's like yeah you know if you're watching this film with i feel like nostalgia at least for me just tips into uncanniness constantly so watching this film feeling like that it's some weird simulacrum of a memory that you had you know or just be, be uh in some ways very apposite it's like it's like if the machines from the matrix did the film you know <laughs> yeah it's a strange one to remake because it's so of the 90s and all the ideas in it are now a bit kind of true like this whole thing about living on an online world and stuff. That's yeah. just people's lives now. So it'd be like, imagine if you weren't... What if you were on your computer all the time? It's like, well, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so the machines have won as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. may they live on. I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. Me too. But how can you do the um, the aesthetic of kind of Windows DOS style um, in the operating system hacking? How does it even work now? No one knows, like, that, that whole computer language is completely... It's true. ...gone. Is it's it just going to look like a 404 error page or something? With yeah. A, with like, you know when, like, a Google page crashes and there's a little cartoon dinosaur telling you that it didn't load? That's like, going to that... be the main aesthetic choice yeah, that's of the movie. It's going to be how it works. It is so... Well, it's a brilliant film, but I think it is like comparable to something like Star Wars or something, whereas it's like amazing mashup of loads of interesting ideas like Buddhism and cyberpunk and all the fashion was so 90s and cutting edge and the music. You know, it's so of its time that to do it, you know, like as you're saying, to nostalgia back to like the 90s, it would lose the whole selling point, which is like how fresh and cool it was can already see exactly how it work and it will just be like rather than feeling contemporary it will just be like you know isn't this fun to go back to n 90s kitsch and it will suck it will be incredibly shit so let's hope that it doesn't happen i mean like not that i'm sort of uh like so in love with the matrix i can't bit better see the property sullied since they already did that to their own property with the sort of weird you know bad sequels but just that this type of film is my absolute least favorite type it's like you're not even being honest enough just to do a straight up remake, but it's this like weird like rebooting the franchise for a fresh generation. It's your favorite trench coats, they're back, you know, and all that kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. 
whoa, he's off the pills. Are, they're not red and blue anymore. They're, they're... Maybe he just takes the other pill. It's the blue pill. <laughs> yeah, well, and then it becomes like uh, sort of social realism. He just goes about a normal day. Yeah, that's because like a Ken Sloach movie. Yeah. <laughs> I looked a little bit into Zach Penn because uh, I was free time to do whatever I wanted to see. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, his name rang a bell. He uh, wrote that new Spielberg movie called Ready Player One. Apparently he's one of the writers on that. But he also has a few more, maybe slightly less illustrious projects to his name. And I thought maybe we could just delve into them briefly and give a glimpse of the sort of crackling dialogue you might expect in the Matrix sequel. This is an extremely unfair way to judge a writer's work, but whatever, I don't care. I'll just do what I want. Do whatever you want. He was. Um, he wrote some great movies, including... Did you ever see the movie Electra, the spin-off from Daredevil starring Jennifer Garner? I, I haven't yet, but as, it's on my list. As the assassin. Here's one of the great lines from Electra that I found on IMDb. This is her mentor, Stick, who's also a character in the Netflix TV series, Old Man. Her name was Electra. She was a warrior. She was also dead. Well, nobody's perfect. Only a warrior can come back from death. And even then, the second life is never quite like the first. Brilliant. Wow. Here's a great line from X-Men The Last Stand. One of my favorites. Also, Zach Penn, piece of work. This is Magneto. In chess... The pawns go first. Genius. Wow. So profound. And something that really struck me from The Incredible Hulk, which he also wrote a brilliant film starring uh, Edward Norton and Tim Roth. In the end, Tim Roth and Edward Norton are in their Hulk forms, Evil Hulk and Good Hulk, and they're fighting each other. And Evil Hulk is about to kill the Hulk, and he says, any last words? And The Incredible Hulk says, Hulk smash. And then he smashes some shit. <laughs> That's the kind of brilliance you can expect applied to the world of the Matrix. Any last Can't words? Can't wait. Uh, Neo smash. <laughs> <laughs> well, the iconic lines from the Matrix. I know Kung Fu. Yeah. I know Kung Fu. Smash. <laughs> Get ready to hear him know Kung Fu again for a new generation. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-clenchingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment we're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job then Sam will tell him off Gleason, this is a documentary directed by Clay Tweel Bizarre name Great name He's American, what are you going to do? Let's call the kids Clay over there Mental He is, um, he's made other films but he's part of Seth Gordon's production company Seth Gordon being the guy who made King of Kong and he has a little documentary house and like nurtures all the people from that sort of production house, make documentaries. And Gleason is about Steve Gleason. He was a, a star American football player for the New Orleans All Saints. Uh, he was already a bit of a hero because when the All Saints played the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina, he blocked this punt that caused his team to win and was a big signifying moment for New Orleans that they had got their mojo back. Right, right. And he became a bit of a sort of hero of the town. And he retired quite young, but in 2011, at the age of 34, he was diagnosed with ALS, which is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, which is what Stephen Hawking has, this disease which basically your body starts to shut down. And he started documenting his life, and then a few weeks after he was diagnosed, he finds out that his wife, Michelle, was pregnant with their son, Rivers, and he starts making these video diaries as a present to his son and saying things that he physically won't be able to do later and the film chronicles him over a five-year period as he loses control of his body um it kind of features him founding his charity team gleason um, to raise awareness and funds for sufferers of ls and also the toll his disease takes on his family and here is a clip of 
um, a bit in the documentary where they talk about Michelle and Steve meeting. When I first got to know him, he plays, he had long hair and played for the NFL. I thought it was going to be a complete, like, complete cheese ball. But when I met him, he was, he was perfect. Like, I thought he was just, like, the greatest thing I've ever met. He lived in a small house and didn't have a TV and drove a truck and was different than Southern boys, and he loved to, like, adventure travel. I liked to travel at the time, too. He was, just like, the superhero athlete, but also super smart. He's the best of both worlds, let's say. With the kind of person that Steve is, he was attracted to the, the free spirit of Michelle, the kind of uh, honest, bluntness, uh, willing to try anything, really no airs about her. I don't know. You can never think of Michelle settling down. She was always uh, having fun. And I think when she met Steve, they just started clicking. So uh, this film is extremely good. I went in thinking that it might be a bit of an extension of the charity and that is designed to raise awareness, as is most of his public output. And if it had just done that, that would have been completely fine and justified. But it goes into some very deep, uncomfortable, strange places, which elevate it above the kind of film it's sort of been marketed as and the kind of film you think it might be. And what's kind of remarkable about the film is that it doesn't sugarcoat anything. And even though the film is kind of about the triumph of human spirit and Steve Gleason's indomitable character, it is tempered by the day-to-day -day reality of living with ALS and the huge emotional and physical strain it puts on everyone, particularly his wife. And it kind of works in the way that documentaries only can. And it was kind of like an interesting example of how digital technology has made a new type of documentary available in that you couldn't document someone's life over a five-year period 10, 15 years ago, but you now can. And there's just something about watching this guy as a healthy person end up in a wheelchair five years later, which cannot be replicate in any other form and the last film i saw about some of als was the fear of everything and if i'd seen the fear of everything after i've seen this movie i would hate it even more than i so did somehow find new debts <laughs> to hate it even more well because in the fear of everything you're just watching an actor make his performance more technical but it cannot it's some it seems so cheap now having seen the real thing yeah in the form of documentary but saying that there is a lot of humor in the movie and there's a particularly good character, I say character, he's a real person, but it's Kara Blake, who's this, this very chilled out surfer dude who takes everything in his stride in a way which is instantly endearing and you really want him throughout the film. And another surprising thing about the film is that he creates these videos initially for posterity for his son, but then the film kind of becomes about his relationship with his father, which was very dysfunctional. And one of the interesting things about his diagnosis is that it, kind of galvanizes him to basically get his house in order and so he has this relationship with his dad where they're not really they're on okayish terms at the beginning of the movie but he's like i won't be able to speak in eight months so we've got to sort out all this emotional baggage now which leads to like this incredibly frank and disarming footage and this kind of interesting him trying to becoming a father kind of remotely through the use of these like digital videos and also his personal relationship with his dad and the way that is sort of like makes this journey throughout the film is very, very moving. There are some elements that feel a little polished. There's this kind of musical underscoring, as you heard in that clip, that feels a little unnecessary. But it never throws you out of the movie because the whole film is about somebody taking control of the situation of a disease that will leave them completely powerless. So any of the sort of creative decisions feel like it's a film that is completely fine being authored, if you know what I mean, because that's kind of the point. But the film 
style is kind of encapsulates Steve's Battle of LS because even though it's very polished and considered a piece of filmmaking, there are just bits where reality bleeds in in the same way he has good days and some days he like literally wants to kill himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is kind of understandable given ALS. I hope Absolutely. I never get ALS. It's the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just an incredibly raw and intimate film and I would re-recommend it. I cried about nine times watching it. It's a bit of a ring... It goes, you're looking at me like... I just couldn't take... Well, you you sort of sent me the link to watch it and I just couldn't. I just couldn't bear to watch it. I mean, I didn't, also didn't watch the non-traumatic one, but like... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just like, uh, yeah, it was too this too formidable uh, prospect for me. Okay, I feel like I may have given it like the wrong hard sell here by telling you how emotionally taxing it is. But it's a very rewarding watch, and it was good in that it conveyed Steve Gleason's character about not giving into this disease, but didn't sugarcoat the obvious pitfalls of it. Yeah, you know, and I mean, it's probably be impossible to sugarcoat LS, but. There are very intimate scenes about him losing bodily functions, which are very disarming in their frankness. And it's just kind of cool that he had the courage to like allow that footage to go out. Yeah. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Stop talking now. So Danny and I went to a preview screening, very exciting. So we've seen a film you haven't seen, suck it. It's called Get Out. It's a horror movie directed by Jordan Peele, who's one half of the um, American comedy duo Key and Peele. They have a very good sketch series. Check it out on YouTube. It was a massive smash hit in the US and it was incredibly critically acclaimed. We had 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes for a while before one guy came along and spoiled it. And so we were excited to see it. You know, critics and audiences loved it. And yeah, exciting, enticing prospect. Stars Daniel Kaluuya, who you might remember from Skins or Black Mirror and stuff. And he plays this young black guy in America. He's dating Alison Williams, um, her out of girls. And she is taking him home to meet her parents in their large colonial looking mansion. Um... And it's a basically a horror film that's about an aspect of the black experience in America that's slightly underrepresented on screens, I guess, which is just like the everyday tensions associated with dealing with white people. Here is a clip of Daniel Kalu and Alison Williams speaking to her parents, played by Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> how long? <laughs> Four months. Four months. Mm. Uh, five months, actually. She's right. I'm wrong. Attaboy. Better get used to saying that. <laughs> I, please. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. She's right. I'm wrong. <laughs> See? Does he have an off button? No. This is exhausting. I know. I want to give you a tour. Can you, like, go. unpack first? You want to unpack? Before the tour? So that sort of gives you a sense of, like, the initial tone of the movie and the way that it portrays that kind of slightly uncomfortable awkward different way in which white people can treat black people and it's uh feels instantly familiar and understandable but also quite new and that i haven't seen it treated in this kind of way before in a movie and we thought it was great right we both we thought it was great we we really enjoyed it we give it a film chat thumbs up it's extremely good 
Yeah, it's brilliant. It successfully mines the sort of tensions of the, or the fallacy of the post-racial Obama idea where racism doesn't exist anymore, but in the way it's become just slightly more insidious in this sort of white liberal, I get it, man, I'm cool, I'm woke way, which is like very specific and universal, as you were saying. And the way that is intertwined in this genre element of a horror movie, I mean, it's a full-on horror film. Yeah. And the horror element, and a a really good one. And I thought it was a really well-judged level of horror. I think it's, I'm not really a horror aficionado, but it's akin to something like Scream or something, where it's just really fun. It's a bit like like It Follows as well. Yeah. The the, the horror is kind of in this middle ground between like straightforward horror and just like the social tensions, which I find very hard to watch anyway. So for me, it was (laughs) not tough enough of a watch. Yeah. In both the scenes that were had more straightforward horror elements and like the scenes where it was just him like talking to people at a party. I was like, Oh God, this is, <laughs> this is awful. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that impressed me so much about the film is that it's, as you say, it's kind of taking aim, not at straightforward racists so much as the attitudes that can underlie people who are like outwardly, um, you know, nice to black people and, uh, you know, seem like they understand racism or we'll say they're opposed to racism and all that kind of thing um and that it is the sort of attack that could easily make you know white audience member feel deeply uncomfortable and should maybe because it's the sort of it's like should make you question the way in which you deal with people of different races and it does quite a clever thing by having the character that Alison Williams plays uh, spending that first part of the movie when uh, she's introducing her black boyfriend to her family and her family's friends, and they all like say the most awkward, embarrassing, cringe-inducing stuff. My man, yeah, and all that kind of thing. And like that's something that, as you know, as a white audience member, you get immediately. Like, you understand immediately that that's like you know that's racist, basically. Um, and she is cringing herself, and so it kind of puts you in her shoes with her character being put in his shoes in a way. And somehow that makes the movie kind of disarming. And uh, uh, so I think it's remar- it does a remarkably good job of uh, quite a cutting critique of a patronizing liberal attitude, which probably applies to a lot of the people who are watching the film. Not um, us. Not us. Not us. Absolutely not us. No way. Definitely we're, we're not. With it. Never in my life. But without feeling like confrontational about it or like scolding no, about yeah, it. Yeah, that's the sort of genius trick the movie pulls off. Well, I was sort of thinking that like you could make the same kind of film about black fear of police, but it's hard to imagine, not not saying that film would be like, that's the worst subject at all, but like it's hard to imagine that film being made in a way that wouldn't be construed as an attack on the police. Right, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. And it's like by choosing the this kind of subject matter, which is like the more like low level everyday kind of background like kind of racism that um black people have to deal with um that it's somehow more palatable for the audience and it's i feel like it feels like it's pulled off some kind of magic trick where it's obviously resonating a lot with black people you know it's a hugely popular film and like does a really good job by all counts of uh show you know portraying their experiences and the things that make them uncomfortable and everything like that um but uh without like uh, alienating any not any the white people yeah like yeah. The, the, the the you know they, they 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 like the movie and they get it as well yeah i think like i mean it's, it's a bit stupid like the societal themes aside i mean obviously that's the entire film yeah but just like the actual construction of the horror is really brilliantly crafted and it's the kind of movie where things are set up and pay off very winningly 
and it feels like every there's no fat on the script whatsoever and even little moments have a either a plot purpose or somehow thematically enforcing everything is on point there's such clarity to the vision yeah it's it's this real satisfaction of watching a film which it kind of shows in a way the power of genre movies when they're well done that it's a guy who really knows what he wants to say and he's using a very well established set of genre tools to say that and it just works incredibly well and it's so satisfying to watch a film where a guy knows exactly what he's saying and it feels really new and it's just really well it's just really well said um i think part of the like well one of the many reasons the movie works so well is that like the tone is very well judged and i think that's in part due to the actors oh the performances are fantastic the performances are really great i think bradley whitford is like just born to play a douche absolutely They've like he's like perfectly cast as is Catherine Keener. She's excellent. Alison Williams. There's a bit of stunt casting in that she is famous for being the most white girl in the sh- whitest, incredibly the white, white show girls. girls. Yeah, but there's a bit of stunt casting that really works. And Daniel Kaluuya is absolutely brilliant. And I don't know if I just have extra warmth. It's like that guy from Skins is in a huge movie now. Yeah, you go, guy from Skins. We're not really. F- I know don't know you, but I feel like I do because you used to be in a TV show I watched. Yeah, especially uh, especially when he was like playing such a sort of like cute dumb role as like the posh Kenneth character. He's just sort of like adorable teen. Yeah, and uh, and now he's yeah this sort of movie star and he's absolutely crushing it. But like, part of the fun of the movie is that you sort of see the various like little bits of soft racism that he has to endure. And it's basically he's enduring the same thing again and again, but he keeps on finding new ways to express his like, okay, typical white person. His sort of sort world of, weariness. His world weariness. Yeah. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. it's And it's really see good. the film <laughs> is what I say. Yeah, I agree. You should, you should do it. It's ace. Probably my top 10 of the year. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's very, very good. It's a breath of fresh air. And I'm white. It made me wish I was black. No, it didn't. It made me thankful that I was white. (laughs) I'm honest. (laughs) 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 Sounds like it's horrible being black. White people trying to kill you all the time. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So another documentary I saw this week, in many ways the perfect antidote to Gleason, was this documentary Uncertain, directed by Ewan McNichol and Anna Sandylands. What an amusing name. Wonderful names. Wonderful names. And probably great people. Probably the best. Uh, this won the prestigious Albert Maisel documentary director award at the Tribeca Film Festival. So I was like, this better be pretty good if given the old Maisel's award. If Maisel's coming out. And it is about the town of Uncertain which is this sort of no man's land on the Texas-Louisiana border. And one of the characters in the documentary comments that you have to be lost to find it. And it follows three uncertain, Mm. more than one meaning, men in the town. Uh, One of them is an ex-convert who's obsessed with hunting this wild boar. Another one is a fisherman who is uh, in the twilight years of his life and sort of lamenting his past. And one is a sort of young idolist who has plans to escape the town He's got big dreams and big ambitions. And these three stories interweave, and it's the backdrop is the town where most of the livelihood is provided by the lake, but the lake is under threat of a evil oxygen-sucking weed, which is killing all the life in the lake. Awful. Awful. So this documentary is great. I really enjoyed it. I think when the directors 
discovered this town called Uncertain, and they're like, I want to make a film about this sort of dying middle of America, and there's literally uh, we choking the life support of the town. Yeah. Jackpot. Too, it's too perfect. It's too perfect. Their, it, their, their joy must have been antithetical to the mood of the film they were trying to create. Yeah. They were sort of constantly having to stifle their giggles of happiness <laughs> behind the camera. Cause yeah. Because the, thematically it was lining up so well. Exactly. And it is a very impressionistic documentary because it can be because the landscape is so beautiful that all these kind of neat visual metaphors fall into place in a way which is almost trite if it wasn't real yeah i tried to make an impressionistic documentary like around the rotunda in kingston upon thames and it just wasn't coming together you know just not as visually beautiful the old fisherman who lives there was just like saying some great stuff but the backdrop was not working it's not working and it does really utilize the locations very well because everything the characters say take on a mythic quality because it's backdrop by this awesome location and there is this interesting juxtaposition between the fact that the town is dying. It's like a ghost town. There's abandoned houses, got an aging population. There are no young people in the town. But at the same time, it's completely covered with life and weeds are growing everywhere. And you can't point a camera in the town without some sort of nature invading the frame. And this kind of interesting uh, contrast between the two things gives it a certain mood, which, yeah, um, yeah. which is very effective. It's also really cleverly edited with the three stories intertwining. And there's these 20 years age gaps between them. One of the guy, he must be in his 80s. One guy's sort of late 50s, 60s. And there's, well, I say 20 and a 40 year age gap between <laughs> these young 20 year olds. And it's very clever in how it juxtaposes their points of view and how they have a similar kind of introspective outlook. Is that an oxymoron? No. Uh, <laughs> an, in, an inlook. In, inlook. And I think it really articulates the point that if your town is a bit dead and there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to go but inwards in a way. And people just become very reflective because there's nothing else to do. And uh, how it's not just a financial, any- economic erosion, but almost like a slightly spiritual one. People get yeah. disheartened. There's only easily. so many long stalks of wheat you can chew on before you, exactly. get, you get a bit bored. Yeah. You've seen the film? You've seen the, uh, <laughs> the stalk chewing scene? It's also very quietly affecting film, particularly with this young character, Zach, who's got his life ahead of him. And you're like, get out of this town, Zach. Don't end up like these old guys. And the way his story plays out and is juxtaposed with these old characters is very emotionally investing. And when you first meet him, he's like this sort of slightly feckless guy who's getting drunk all the time and playing Minecraft. And you're like, Jesus, guy's a loser. But then you're like, if I was in that town, that's exactly what I would be doing because there's nothing else to do. I, I'd be watching it like, I'd be playing three times the amount of Minecraft this poor kid is playing. <laughs> I'm like, you're on that level of Minecraft? You fucking kidding me? Are you this- fucking kidding me? I would have rebuilt the entire town within Minecraft by now. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> if only you'd done that. Yeah, and it's just a very kind of slow, well-paced, visually beautiful film, which really makes these points very subtly and just you kind of ease into and sort of kind of wallow in it. I found it a very enjoyable watch and it was like a nice antidote to Gleason. A lot of the press around the film has been about how it's sort of the middle rust bucket trumps America, the neglected yeah. people of America who've suddenly made their voices heard. That's not really in the film. It's just political in the way that every film is now political and it's either the film that's the antidote to Trump or indicative of the new Trump world we live in. Are there are a lot of shots of place like no hillary leaflets you know um like they're just a shot without any democratic campaign literature yeah. in it they call the poisonous weed the hillary weed <laughs> um 
Yeah. They're constantly shouting locker up, even if it's not even, you know, related. They just yell it like yeah. it's like that... some sort of communal <laughs> Tourette's. Locker up. It means come to dinner where they're from. No, but I think, you know, everyone has preconceived notions about certain people and where they're from and it's a film that doesn't really set out to challenge those notions but just does so because it follows these characters and they're very articulate and I think there's you, something there's you, something inherently political as well just by the concept of um, showing the hollowness or emptiness of this post-industrial town that's lost its reason to be and where the rhetoric around the greatness of America and its uh, you know how well its economy is doing and like GDP growth figures or whatever has yeah. no resonance whatsoever because it hasn't come to them you know so it kind of like it, it even it doesn't have to be about the one campaign but it's certainly you know by depicting that it shows the how a political system has left a particular kind of people yeah, behind absolutely That's yes <laughs> how much minecraft is there in the movie because it was just occurring to me as you were talking about it that in minecraft uh, that too is a depiction of a world that is teeming with life and yet empty of uh, uh human structures and in which you have to find forge your own purpose you there's, know? there's very little Minecraft, to be honest with you. It's more like a plastic reference. Well, it seems thematically relevant. I feel like they could have made more with it. That's all I'm saying. I don't know if I would have given it the director's prize or that kind of kind of oversight. But Yeah, they spent far too long just shooting the beautiful trees and lake. It didn't spend nearly a of, enough. Bit of Minecraft footage in there. Just toss it in. Yeah, but it's uh, available everywhere. iTunes, Google Play, Bebo. It's on Bebo. It's on Bebo. It's a tight 80 minutes, and it's well worth a watch. Sweet. Don't be like those liberal elites in their bubbles. Learn about the other people who don't know what quinoa and, you know, punk IPA is. Yeah, well, welcome to a new segment of Film Chat. Break out of your liberal bubble, you freaks. Break out of your liberal bubble, you cucks. We want to introduce you to some real stuff, all right? Yeah. It's, mostly it's going to be Newsweek columns written by conservatives, but once in a while it'll be a documentary, and this is the first one. Yeah. Un- unrepresentative because it's not a Kevin Williamson column from the National Review, but this time it's documentary you're Check saying a lot of words and i don't know what most of those mean but i totally agree with you <clears throat> that's because you're in a bubble man you're in a fucking bubble when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. End of the show. End of the show. That's the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, next week we're going to be on a different feed. If you're on this feed, you'll have a little trailer saying, what are you doing on this feed? Get on the other feed. And the way to do that is by following all the advice we'll give via Facebook, Twitter, or come to your house directly. Mm-hmm. It's just all going to be available. We're going to mail out Danny. He, he's going to do some of his labor door knocking. He's going to use those skills to uh, knock on our I listeners' got, homes. I've got mad door knocking skills now, man. Mad, mad knocking skills. Mad knocking skills. Yeah. So get ready to have a very informative chat on the doorstep with Danny, whether you're in your dressing gown or not. And uh, <laughs> otherwise, just go on our Facebook page and there'll be instructions for Why do you have to make it into like a sort of sexy beginning of a porn movie thing. i'm not i look i listen okay i'm not saying it's not going to be a saturday like a beautiful warm saturday morning and you wake up you know feeling uh horny horny a little <laughs> i was going to say like content but somewhat lonely but horny captures it and you get a knock on the door and there's this tall guy and he's uh, got a clipboard and he's got a little glint in his eye 
and is ready to, to inform you about RSS feeds and where to find your favorite podcasts. And I'm just saying, you know, things might go on from there. Maybe you'll invite them in. Who knows? Maybe we'll fuck. <laughs> maybe maybe you'll bone. Okay. Join us next join week. Us then. We will be reviewing All This Panic, an exciting documentary all about women. I'm so woke and into documentaries these days. We'll also be reviewing the horror movie The Eyes of My Mother. Yeah. And mockumentary Operation Avalanche. Yeah, it's going to be a trio of blockbuster indie documentaries that you will not see. <laughs> yeah. See you then. Bye. Hello. I'm Orson Welles. Lovely, isn't it? The summer palace of Louis XVI. You know, historians have recently discovered a previously unknown fact concerning this palace. An event which almost changed the entire history of Western Europe. Did you know that the entire French Revolution could have been avoided? It's true. No one knows what took place there. It's an event of such importance that men of integrity, and I may say of considerable resources, made a film on the subject. It's a color film, which I am not in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.